Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Miss Oprah. Oh, girl. Oh, I love Hi, it. sweetheart. Miss Oprah, how you doing? Good to see you. It's good to see you. You look beautiful. Oh, so do you. Thank you for having me back. Ah, oh, of course, of course. It's good to see you. This book is something, girl. You like it? <laughs> yeah. So, we, welcome. Welcome. Hey, here we are again. We, you know, we first met in 2007. I know, so long ago. Yes. Many, many things have happened since then. Oh my gosh, your life since 2007. Well, yours too. My life since 2007. <laughs> to be fair. Your life, I mean, look at what's happened in that amount of time. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's been a lot. Um, yeah. The world's life since 2007. The world's life yeah. since 2007. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of big changes on the macro, micro yeah. level. Everything. But I have to say, you know, when I first met you and we were uh, celebrating, reveling in Eat, Pray, Love, I said then that you were a carrier of the light. We could see that in you. And even after all that you've been through, love and death and love and everything that you still carry that light. Oh, thank you so it's much for so saying that. It's still so strong in you. Thank you for saying that. It's still so strong in you. Um, it's, it's, that flame has flickered, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the, like the wick has gone down at various times over the last few years. But um, honestly, Oprah, I, I came here to live a life fully, all of it, and I'll take it. I'll take all of it. I'll take the whole thing because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to have come all this distance to live a human life and miss the experience. So I just want to show up for the whole ride. Damn it, Whatever I love it that. Be, I you know, love that. Like, I came here to do this. Yeah. You know, all of it. And so you, you just embrace whatever shows up, you embrace it. Maybe not in the moment yeah. that it's actually happening and horrible, mm -hmm. but there's even, even then there's something, you know, even in the worst moments of, of, of watching Rhea die, there was something I knew and it was that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Mm. I'm exactly, this is the worst thing I've ever been in and I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Which is the essence of everything that I talk about in this format of Super Soul is that being able to be in the present moment and to make peace with whatever that moment is showing up for you. Yeah. That's when you have reached the spiritual heights 
of, as a human being. Yeah, and to figure out what am I being asked to, to do, do and learn and grow out of this. Right now. Right now. Right now. You know, why? What is this moment here to offer me, right. to, to teach me, to, yeah. And if I'm going to assume that this is a friendly universe, and I keep assuming it, mm -hmm. oftentimes despite all evidence, then why is this being offered to me? And mm. you know, in, in this amount of pain, what's what's the lesson here? What are we? What, are we meant what to is hard to believe is that you were writing this book. Were you writing your new book through all of that pain with no. Rhea? You waited until she passed well, and then finished. What happened is that I I started working on this book four or five years ago. Yeah. And I started doing a ton of research. You know, it's about New York City in the 1940s, yes. showgirls, theater. And the vision that I always had for it was a big, happy, frolicsome, I wanted to go down like a champagne mm -hmm. cocktail, like yeah. a lighthearted, giddy book. Well, it feels like a fun, lighthearted romp. That's it. That's, okay. that's what I okay, wanted okay, to do. You know, that's I what it. I wanted yeah. it to do. Yeah, like, okay. I want it to go down easy, and yeah. to, before you know it, you're done yeah. with it, and you've had this great ride. And to be having- That's why it's great for summer. Exactly. And that's probably why you're releasing it. That is probably why, because oh, okay. they are, my okay. publishers are not fools. It's a, like, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's yeah. a fun, lighthearted book. Yeah. So I got all the research done and I was about to sit down and start writing it. And that's when I got the phone call um, saying that, that, that my best friend, the, who really had truly for years been the most important person to my heart and my life, had terminal cancer. My life at that minute just absolutely shifted. Within the course of a week, my entire life radically changed. I ended up leaving my marriage, going to take care of her and her sickness, spent the next 18 months at her side, and the last thing I could imagine caring about was, was a novel was about showgirls yes, in yeah. the 1940s, a happy, mm -hmm. like, gleeful, sexy. I couldn't, I couldn't begin to imagine ever caring about it again, so I didn't do anything with it for 18 months. And then um, very soon after she died, I don't know, I got a message from the mothership saying the best thing you could do for yourself right now is write that book. It's going to bring you back to life. So I started writing it right after she died, and it did. This this happy, fun, frolicsome light book I wrote during the deepest it's grief. It's so interesting, because well, now you explain it, because I was like, how are you writing that, going through what we all knew you were going through? So you waited until she had passed. Yeah. And no doubt, Rhea left the spirit of her and the light of her with you and that's why you were able to do I think so city of girls I think so I yes. felt I felt her with me while I was doing it I talked to her the whole time I was doing it and I was trying to crack her up while I was writing it what I wanted a perfect to make name her though what a perfect name city of girls oh thank you yes Can you believe that's never been the name of a book when I, I came up with it I looked all over I was like somebody has to have called something this and it has never been a title before and it just feels like such a good title <laughs> It is like, such a perfect title. Taken? Such a perfect title and such a perfect title for such a time as this. Mm. Yeah. How would you describe the book? I okay. say it's a fun, lighthearted rump. I that, that's good. I'll go okay, with that. Good. Okay. Oprah Winfrey, fun, lighthearted <laughs> rump. Um, it is a um, a joyous uh, novel about New York City in the 1940s, about showgirls, about theater, about actresses, about, it's actually deeply about promiscuous girls and about girls being very wild in their youth, but it's written like a fake memoir from yes. the point of view of yeah. a woman in her 90s looking back at her youth when she was wild and you crazy. You know, it's interesting because we don't have permission to be promiscuous. Yeah. And I remember growing up that that was the one thing, and this reminded me so much of it, that the one thing in our neighborhood, in our culture, was like called being fast. Yeah. Oh, she's fast. Yeah. <laughs> she's too fast. Yeah. And so it was so frowned upon, and yet you write about characters who are willing to 
release that at a time when it also was frowned upon. It's always been frowned yeah, upon, yeah, yeah. and it's still frowned, frowned upon, upon, and those girls are still ostracized, yes. and there are still women who have a tremendous amount of sexual curiosity and courage and bravery and a kind of desire to live on the edge, and that's what this book is about. It's about those kind of girls. Well, I love this part of the book where you say, I could have spent the rest of my life trying to prove that I was a good girl, but that would have been unfaithful to who I really was. I believed that I was a good person, if not a good girl, but my appetites were what they were. So I gave up on the idea of denying myself what I truly wanted. Then I sought ways to delight myself. As long as I stayed away from married men, I felt that I was doing no harm. Anyway, at some point in a woman's life, she just gets tired of being ashamed all the time. And after that, she's free to become whoever she truly is. Say it, girl. Amen. <laughs> you found it. That, to me, is the That's most it. essential part That's of it. the entire book. And by yeah. the way, can I just sit here and have you read the entire, <laughs> the entire thing to me? It to me so is the happy to hear you read that it. That, to me, is the essential part of the That's book. That's it. That's yeah. what the whole book is about. Yeah. Um, and, and now, when she's writing that piece, she's writing it from her 50s. So, so the book begins with her at 19. She goes to New York City. She goes on a bender. She, she falls in with a group mm -hmm. of showgirls who are all very wild. Her appetites are what they are, and she just jumps in right in with them. This is not to say that there are no consequences. This is what I yes. want to point out. What I wanted to say in this book is that I wanted to write a counterpoint to all the stories that are told of girls who are promiscuous and their lives are destroyed by it. And what I wanted to tell was the story of girls who are promiscuous and then they continue to have rich and interesting lives after that. And while they had consequences from it and while things might have been difficult, they survived it. And not only survived, but maybe at some point look back on it in their later years and go, there's a lot of fun that I was having during yeah. that time. I'm you know, glad I did that. I'm kind of yeah. glad I did that. And so she's writing that while she's in her 50s looking yes. back at herself at 19, but she wouldn't have been able at 19 to articulate what she was doing. She was just following these urges and she, wanting to be as daring as the wild girls she was running around with. When you look back on your own life at 19 yeah. and the girl that you were, what would you say to her now? Nothing she would have listened to or, or respected or obeyed. So I could tell her all kinds of things, but she's still going to go off and do exactly, exactly. what she was going to yeah, go do. Yeah, yeah. You know, like when I look back at her face, I see someone who is committed to the path that she was on and had to be because it took me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. But you know, they say that every novel is a memoir and every memoir is a novel. Yes. That if you really want to know what somebody's like, read the novels that yeah. they write. I, I uh, that's was, my memoir. I, I, thought, I thought I was talking. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that was you, of course. I didn't, I didn't have to do any research to describe what it's like to be a young, fast girl, yes. because that's what I was. And yeah, there was no stopping me. You know, yeah. I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to experience everything, Oprah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I did pay consequences for it, but I also kind of get why I was like that. But what I think is so interesting about City of Girls is that so many adult women uh, and men spend time regretting, actually, what they may have done in their youth or punishing themselves for actually being a sexual being. Yeah. And your intention for writing this was to say, release that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the great things about this research that I did for this book was that I got to meet a lot of women in their 90s who had been showgirls, dancers, actresses back in the day in Broadway and interview them. And one of the things I'd been worried about when I went into that was, how am I going to get these women in their 90s to talk to, talk to me about, about sex? Yes. 
It was more like, how am I going to get them to talk about anything but, but sex? sex? Like, once I started, they were... Because nobody's asked them. Nobody's asked them. Yes. Everybody's too respectful. And um, and there was one woman in particular um, whose name was Norma, and she was a showgirl, and she lives in the same apartment in the Upper West Side that she moved into in 1950. She was John Wayne's girlfriend. She was Milton Berle's girlfriend. She was a, a dancer and a, and a glamour girl, all of the 40s and 50s. Never got married, never had kids, had affairs her entire life, was a sexual being for her entire life, even up to very close to, to the age when I met her in her 90s. And, you know, I wasn't sure when I was writing this book, can I get away with this? Can I, would it have been accurate that there would have been girls like this in the 40s? And I met Norma and I said, did you ever regret that you never got married, that you never had kids? And she just looked at me and said, honey, who wants to have sex with the same man for, for 60 straight years? <laughs> and she didn't say have sex. She said it in a lot rougher language really? than that. Yeah, and I was like, whoa. whoa. And her telling me that just opened up. She said, I don't regret any of it. I had a wonderful life. I had so many fascinating, she said that, and the door was always open. And men could come in, they could leave. You know, it, it just, everybody was free. How do you find writing about women's sexuality in the 40s, in the era of City of the Girls, compared to the world today with Me Too and Time's Up and... Well, I started working on this book before Me Too started. And it was interesting that it intersected, that I was writing this book that was about a certain kind of female sexuality when a very different conversation is going on right now. It was important to me, I thought about it, but it was really important to me when I sat down to write it that I didn't make these girls prematurely woke. I have a problem when I read historical fiction when there are characters who are more advanced in their thinking than I would have right. been at that era. Yeah. You know, where you're reading a 16th century scullery maid, but she talks about feminist theory like she went to Vassar. Right. You know, and you're like, no. No. You know, like, Doesn't you can be fit. strong. Yeah. You can be a strong, powerful female character, but you can't have access to information that didn't exist yet. Yeah. And so I tried to, I mean, everything I ever write is going to be from a feminist perspective because I'm a feminist, but I tried to to not have them be ahead of themselves in terms of um, understanding their So if they're not woke, they're waking they're up. They're not woke, but they're waking. And, mm -hmm. and there comes a moment in the book where, where, where for instance, there's, a, there's an incident where that's kind of the hinge upon which all the drama in the book occurs, where she makes a very big mistake, blows yeah. a bunch of situations, blow up. And she looks back on it later, and it takes her decades to realize, wait a minute, the girls got banished, but the guys... guys was fine. He yeah. got to keep his position and his prestige and his marriage. And why did we get thrown out of town? Like, why did that happen? It, it, but it took her 20 years to realize that there was maybe something unfair about that. And certainly at the time in 1940, she wouldn't have had that awareness. She would have just felt ashamed and that she was, as she was labeled, the dirty little whore. Um, but the guy was, was which not is the that. which is being la labeled a da dirty little whore is the thing that everybody's always trying to run away from because everybody wants to be the good girl, yeah, the yeah, good girl, yeah. of course. But I I believe you can be a good person without necessarily being a good girl, um, and I don't think those things are are mutually exclusive. And that's what you're telling us in City of Girls. I hope to. Yes, yes, <laughs> I yes. hope to. Well, let's talk about what's happened in these years since we last sat down. Yeah. So when you got the notice that Rhea had been diagnosed with um, pancreatic cancer, I have a friend who's going through it now, and there's just, yeah. 
So when you got that, yeah. would you say you were happily married at the time? I would, and, and there's a limit to how much I, I want to talk about um, the marriage just out of respect to somebody who I yeah. still love and care about yeah. deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, but Are I, you all still friends? I still love and care about him deeply. Okay, good. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's, uh, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. And always will. Uh-huh. Um, but, but when but I... You know, so many people call. who read Eat, Pray, Love were vested in you holding on to that forever yeah. because that, that love that you all found was like our love too. Right. And so when you posted that you were going to be leaving, yeah. I mean, people felt like it was somebody they knew. Yeah, but they were so loving, Oprah. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, if you read the comments that people put on, mm-hmm. on Facebook when I posted, it was just so much love and understanding because I actually think, I love my readers so much. They're, they're, they tend, my readers tend to be middle-aged women who've been through a lot, yeah. who are the kindest people in the world, who understand that life is messy and things change. And I think everyone gets that my life didn't end on the last page of Eat, Pray, Love. That story ended. Yeah. But my life continued on and I had to live forward into it. And when Ray I'm just going to read yeah. the post. I'm Go separating ahead. from the man whom many of you know is Felipe, the man whom I fell in love with at the end of Eat, Pray, Love journey. And I hope you'll understand and forgive me if I'm a bit absent from social media during this sensitive moment. So I know you to be a woman who actually lives with your heart open. I'm wondering, were you concerned at the time about actually upsetting the readers? Were you? No. <laughs> you were not? I wasn't. I had such bigger fish to fry, Oprah. Yeah. You know, I was going through the the most important person I had ever known, the most important person in my life was dying. I was separating from the man I loved because I knew I had to. Because I, and again, you know, it, it almost felt like this may sound odd to say, it didn't feel like a decision that I made. It felt like I was obeying a mandate. Mm-hmm. There was something that I had to do. To take care of Rhea. To take care of Rhea and to take care of her as her partner and as her lover and to acknowledge that this, that she was the love of my life. So later um, in that same year, you posted, I'm just yeah. doing this for all the people who... Yeah, catch up, catch them up. Okay, catch them up <laughs> for all the people. That there is something I wish to tell you today, something which I hope and trust you will receive with grace. This spring, I received news that would change my life forever. My best friend, Rhea, was diagnosed with pancreatic and liver cancer, a disease for which there's no cure. The moment I first learned of Rhea's diagnosis, a trapdoor opened at the bottom of my heart, a trapdoor I didn't even know was there, and my entire existence fell straight through that door. Death or the prospect of death has a way of clearing away everything that is not real. And in that space of stark and utter realness, I was faced with this truth. I do not merely love Rhea. I am in love with Rhea. Okay. I actually read that post that, you know, when you posted it. And you reached out to me very kindly, as did a lot of people. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's it. That was it. And you've described your love for Rhea as a life-shattering truth. As a life-shattering truth. You know, she... Did you surprise yourself when you fell in love with her? No. And not only that, it didn't surprise her or anyone who knew us. Mm. And I mean anyone. There was nobody. Yeah, I, you know what? I saw there you all together. We were on tour. nobody who was surprised. Yeah, when I saw you on tour, and, you know, and I, Yigel and I have been friends for, for years, too. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have that. Yeah. I just, there was just something that was like, I went, okay. People's reactions went from, duh. 
<laughs> to, I thought you guys had been secretly having an affair for years. Really? To a friend of Rhea's who wrote back, in other news, ice is cold. You know, like, <laughs> you know, this is the most obvious thing. It was so obvious to all of us, you know, or we'd been wondering when you guys were going to notice. Um, but I... Because when you, I saw you all, and you, you hadn't announced it yet, but yeah. you all were like actually holding hands, we and you were looking into so each other's eyes, and you were like, "Giddy, we you were, were so, so intimate." intimate. That we were I was like, so what's going that. on here? But it was so, I was so determined to not cross that boundary, and it was so important to me to be a faithful and honest wife, and I believe I was, you know? Mm -hmm. I believe I was, because the minute that clarity came to me, and I mean the minute, the next conversation I had was, was with my husband. Really? Um, the next minute. Yeah. There's like, there's no But you'd way. already moved out, right? Um, no, this was, we, okay. we, yeah, I mean, it was the minute. It was like, okay. this was... There was no way that I could know this about myself, that I was in love with Rhea, and he couldn't know that. I felt that that would be so unfair. Right. And so instantly that conversation happened, and instantly our, our decision was made that, that we would separate. Wow. Um, it was okay. so fast, because he knew too. Everybody knew, you know, and, and, and it was Rhea. I mean, it was a special, and she was dying. There was no time for, it just cleared everything away, and it was so obvious that this is what had to occur. And I felt, at the moment that I found out that she was dying, I had a vision, and it was, it was, it was the, the worst thing I've ever seen. I, and I saw it like a movie. And the vision was, I mean, I knew I would be the one taking care of Rhea. I knew I would, I knew I would be with her every moment. I knew I would be with her at the moment of her death. I had this movie that I saw, and it was me in a hospital room, watching Rhea die, holding her hand, having taken care of her through her death, and her leaving this world never having known what she was to my heart. And then me going on the rest of my life and no one ever having known and nothing ever being said about it. And it was so So appalling. you had a vision of this. I had a vision of that. Okay. And it was so appalling. My soul was appalled is the only way I can describe it. Oh. My soul was appalled that well, you, I will not let that happen. Yeah, I was going to say, you couldn't let I that happen. I will not let that happen. Yeah. And, and Cause, that's... Because that, that, that would have been akin <sighs> to dying... I would have died with her. A, a, a slow... I would have died with her. Yeah, death yourself. Yeah. And the rest of my life would have been a parched, post-apocalyptic landscape. Honestly, that's mm -hmm. what I saw. And, and, I, and there was, I saw that, and there was no way I could allow that. And so I just... So before that, you all, okay, so I'm just trying to get the, get it straight in my own head, because I think I was confused, that it was after she was diagnosed with the cancer mm -hmm. that you left. You left your husband yes. after she was diagnosed with the yes. cancer. Immediately after. Immediately. You're now with her. Yeah. And then you fell in love with her. No, no. 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 Okay. <laughs> no. First of all, it would be hard for me to track when I fell in love with her. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. <laughs> that, that, that had been, you know, quietly, well, quietly in my heart in for a long heart, time. Yes. But um, no, I, I, I was, I was married. I got a call from her saying she was diagnosed with cancer. I saw that vision. Um, she's going to die, and, and, and she, she's not going to know. She's not going to know, and I will never have been honest with myself, with her, or with the world. Had you been honest with yourself up until that point? You had not, to an extent, but it was just sort of like no, nothing will ever come of this. I will never cross this line. I will never cross this line. I will never. You all were just going it. around, I was like, staring into each other's eyes and holding hands I and doing. I know, it. and yeah. having the world think that we were in love. But I just, <laughs> I just thought, you know, if you love her, then love her. Just love her. Okay. Just love her. So you, you know? never crossed the line. Never crossed the line. But then the, the thought of her departing without that, that having been made clear. Um, and you got that vision only after you heard only the doctor that she was sick. And then when I went and told her my feelings, 
<laughs> she always laughed at me because she said, you, you sounded like you were in third grade. You said, do you like me that way? <laughs> do you like me that way? And really? she said, I said, how soon I after said, you had the feeling did you tell Within a week. Within a week. And um, So you told it, your husband first? So imagine first. her life. Okay, yeah, okay, I told okay. my husband first. Okay. But imagine her life. She gets diagnosed with terminal cancer, and then her best friend says, you I'm know? in love with you, and I've been in love with you, and I want to be with you. And she said, how can I be so happy and dying at the same time? She was so happy. And she said, um, I never dreamed in a million years. I never dreamed that we would have this. But when I, when I told her, I love you, I said, what does that feel like? And she said, it feels like prophecy. Wow. Prophecy. And she said, I feel like a thousand angels just breathed into my heart. And we had such a wonderful, such a strange heightened time okay, so of I, like I, I death be, and dying and love and you know, all of it. Help me, Liz. I want to be fully woke and open here. Had you ever had a feeling of loving a woman before? Or it doesn't not even matter if it's a woman or I not a woman. I think it matters yeah. in the least. I, I, you know, the, <clears throat> uh, that piece of it was, the to me, in my post when I announced it, it didn't even occur to me to sort of address that. Because I was like, who cares? Like, yeah. I can imagine caring. Mm -hmm. It just didn't even cross my mind. And I did laugh because at the end of that Facebook post where I made my big public announcement, yeah. I said, I do have one favor to ask you. You know, if you want to respect me and Ray, I have one favor to ask you. Please don't start assailing us with your cures. You know, yeah. when, when somebody's got cancer, <clears throat> yeah. the cures start coming in, the miracle cures. You got to go to this doctor. You got to, yeah. I said, please, I, I know you mean Eat well. Eat this, do that, blah, 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 blah. You, yeah. you know, magical mis mm. miracles. I said, please don't do that to us. Yeah. She's choosing her own path. This is her business. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my only request. And somebody on Facebook said, when you said I've got a favor to ask or a request to make, I swear I thought you were going to say, don't judge me for being with a woman. I was like, why would I say that? <laughs> Why would I ask you to not judge me? I'm not judging me. You know, like, mm -hmm. that's crazy. It didn't even cross my mind that that would be a concern. Um, love is love. It didn't even cross it your didn't mind? It didn't even cross my mind. It really didn't. You are a highly elevated human being. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I do know that I throw my heart into the world, like, the way they shoot T-shirts out of T-shirt cannons in yeah. concerts, you know? I mean, that's how I love. It's that, it's just... It's that big. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us, without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts.
Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. And so what did loving her through until the end teach you about life and love? An enormous amount of humility mm -hmm. because um, I had this idea that I was going to be the world's greatest caregiver mm -hmm. and that I would sort of honestly be kind of a hero. Mm -hmm. And I was broken by the burden, not, and the burden is not the right word, by the, by the, it was savage going through that. And that there were other elements of it too that arose. Rhea had been a heroin addict for years as mm -hmm. a young person and she'd been sober for 19 years. And when they put her back on opioids for the enormous pain that she was in, it kicked up all of that again. Mm -hmm. um, and she went into a very dark spiral with, with the drugs that she was on. And I essentially felt this, oh, I had lost her before I lost her. I was, I was prepared to lose her to death, but I wasn't prepared to, to see her descend into addiction again. She came out of it miraculously. She went through it. I think it was part of her, her own rage at, at dying where she just got a case of like, oh, screw this. I'm just gonna, you know, throw it away. Yeah. And going through that was this whole other level of hell. Was so, she still functioning? Was she still able to be up and moving around was, and coherent? She was, yeah, but it was, it was tough. And the humility was, that I, you stopped everything to I be by her side. Dropped my entire life to take all your scheduling. Everything. You stopped the writing. I remember stopped... the day she was diagnosed, going through my inbox and deleting every single email. I don't care. I don't care about anything except her. I don't care. I just nothing in the world matters except her. And um, and and there got to a point where anybody who's been a caregiver, especially for somebody who's not an easy patient, and Rhea was not an easy patient. She was a very powerful, strong, you know, mm -hmm. independent ferocious person in many ways, it broke me. And who ended up rescuing me was Rhea's ex-wife from 10 years ago and her ex-girlfriend from 20 years ago who showed up like angels and stepped in and said, you can't do this alone. And they, the three of us ended up taking care of her while she was dying. And the humility that I experienced where these women showed up, gave up their lives for their ex-partner to come and help her current partner take care of the woman we all loved. And it ended up being the most beautiful act of love I've ever seen was not me giving up my life to take care of Rhea, but Gigi and Stacy giving up their lives to take care of me while I took care of Rhea. Because I heard that she went out fighting. Fighting, tooth and nail. I mean, she was a, she was a thug. Yes, she so. was, <laughs> she was a, it's why we all loved her. She was a massive personality mm -hmm. and she was, obstinate and she was the alpha wolf in every situation and you know she just she she did not hum, humble herself before death well it's so interesting because i know there are people who are hearing us and watching us and um i was just visiting a friend who is suffering from alzheimer's and on the day that i went to visit the family member said oh she's having a good day today mm -hmm. 
I mean, she's being she's being nice today, and you know sometimes she isn't. And so there you you know the family members are waiting for whatever that wrath may may show up. And even I was too, like oh God, please don't be you know you know mean to me. Yeah, and so when people are being mean to you and you're in the midst of trying to care for them, it's, it's hard to want to hang in there. It's brutal. It's and, brutal. And that's why I needed. Look, we're not supposed to do life alone. This idea that I'm going to be the one, you know, yes. ever. It's never been my story. It's always been a gathering of people yeah. coming together to help each other. I love your truth in it. Your vision from the beginning was that I'm going to be Florence Nightingale. I'm going to be there by your side. I'm going to be all the things. And then try that after eight days of no sleep and a, you know, and a patient who's in constant pain and who's lost her own patience with you. And I mean, you can't, you can't. If you're the caregiver and the primary, most important person of your life is dying, you, someone needs to be taking care of you. Mm. You know, that's that's what Gigi and Stacy hear her, that, folks. Somebody hear needs that. to be taking care of you because you can't you can't be the hero. You're you. also dying. Yeah. You're, because you're also losing this person at the yes. same time, and you're going through your own emotional trauma. Wow. Um, so that was the humility where I had to surrender to the fact that I can't do this myself. And then these women showed up and just held me mm -hmm. so that we could all take care of her together. It was the most beautiful act of love I've ever ever witnessed in my life. So were you all there for the last moment? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we were. And, um, and and she went down like Rhea. I mean, she went down swinging. It was not a peaceful, graceful, zen death. It was a Rhea Elias death. You know, we said later, we, we were like laughing and crying at the same time saying, whoever came from the other side to get her has scratches and bruises all over them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she did not go really? easy. But that's how, that's how her life was. She was such a force of nature and she went out like a storm at sea and it was, it was brutal and it was beautiful and it was true to who she was. And, um, and it was an honor and an honor to be there. Mm. And, and I'm proud of us. You know, that's the feeling that I had instantly. I'm proud of her for the way that she lived and the way that she died. And I'm proud of myself for the decision that I made to, to go and throw myself into loving her for the short time that I could. I'm proud of the love that we had. Mm. And I'm proud of, of, of her ex-wife and ex-girlfriend mm. for putting their egos aside and saying, let me help, how can I show up? I'm proud of this, this, this cauldron of love. Could you feel the soul leave the body? Yes, in fact, I thought I, I swear I thought I heard it. There were two things that happened in that moment that, that cannot have happened. And, and I saw, and I, I swear I saw her arch, and she didn't because she had no strength, but I swear in my memory in that moment, I saw her arch and I heard a breaking sound, like glass breaking. Mm. I heard it, but that didn't happen because she what well, had no strength to, you know, she was in her last moments that that wasn't it. And there was one of us wasn't in the room at that moment, but I saw her at the foot of the bed holding Rhea's feet and smiling at her. And later I said, I'm so glad that all of us, because there was a group of us who were mm -hmm. taking care, I'm so glad we were all in the room. And that's when I learned that one of us wasn't. But I said, no, I saw you there. Um, I mean, so strange things were happening in that, in that moment, mm -hmm. she was there. It was a sort of spirit there helping, mm -hmm. and there, there's, and I saw that even in the suffering of that last moment, as I said, it wasn't a peaceful and gentle death, but in that next instant after she died, 
Rhea had an expression on her face of absolute satisfaction. I mean, it was beyond happiness. She looked almost smug. She had a look on her face of, oh yeah. Whatever she saw in that last instant made her so happy. I don't know what it was, but whatever she saw, whatever she was going into, mm. she was just like, yes. The look mm. on her face was absolute radiance. Um, that, that brought me an enormous amount of comfort too. You've said that it's an honor to be in grief and that you understood you had to have a willingness to accept that all that grief brought. What does that mean, a willingness? Oh, so my whole thing, Oprah, is just, I think willingness is my word. Mm -hmm. You know, when I said I came here to live a life, what I mean is that I agreed to have the life that was given to me and I'm willing for it to be this one, whatever it is. And, and the honor and grief is the rejoicing of having loved somebody so much that their departure breaks you. Not everybody has that. Not everybody has ever loved anybody that much. And so within all the sadness and the sorrow of the loss, there's this heightened, stubborn rejoicing that my heart felt of, we did that, you know? Mm -hmm. We did that, we had love, we knew that, and we did that together. Mm. Um, and, and the willingness is to feel both of those things at the same time. Mm -hmm. the, the tremendous loss, the irreplaceableness of this person, and the joy at having known love to that caliber. What did you learn about yourself that, that you didn't know before through Rhea's death? Mercy. Mm. There was a quality of mercy that, um, that I had to learn. Rhea had always been a teacher of mercy for me mm -hmm. um, through her example. Mm -hmm. I'm a perfectionist, and perfectionists can be merciless mm -hmm. toward themselves and to others. Mm -hmm. um, Rhea had had such a battered life in many ways. She had been a, a drug addict. She had been a criminal. She had been a felon. She'd been in jail. She'd been in rehab centers, mental hospitals, homeless. She'd been beaten down. Well, that's why she went out like a thug. That's why she went out like a thug, exactly. <laughs> and that's why she doesn't have a grave. She has a placard on the park bench in Tompkins Square Park where she right. used to sleep when she was homeless. That's where she wanted her memorial. Wow. Because she survived all that, and she was so proud of it. But having been so defeated by her addictions and her compulsions, having been thrown away by so many people, having been sent to jail, having slept on prison floors, she had a humility where she understood when she saw other people's bad behavior, she had an understanding that there's a person inside of there. Because she remembered, she said, even when I was an addict, she said, I knew I was a good person, I just didn't know how to be. Mm -hmm. And so her, and she was bad. I mean, she was a criminal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she wasn't just an addict, she was like a, it was a true thug. And she said, after I, you know, came out of that, I had to ask so many people for forgiveness and they forgave me mm. that I can never withhold mercy from anybody. It's what I owe because I was shown mercy mm. and I learned mercy from her, but I also had to find it for myself because I, I failed myself so many times in taking care of Rhea. I wanted to be Florence Nightingale. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to never lose my patience. I wanted to be the best caregiver in the world because I want to be the best everything in mm -hmm. the world. Because you're a perfectionist. Because I'm a perfectionist. Yes. And so I held myself to that standard and I failed because you can only fail at that. And and later, I, uh, you, you know. You failed, but you learned so much more. I failed that the, you, the point is not to come here you know, Rhea said it at the very end to me. She said, your job was never to be the best caregiver. Your job is to find mercy for yourself. 
that's your job, Liz. That's your work on Earth, is to find mercy for yourself and just be human, and just being human and doing your best. You know, mm. your job was never to be. That's all of our the jobs. The perfect wife, the perfect caregiver, the perfect friend. The job is to find mercy and compassion. I read that since her death, that you write to her, you talk to her, yeah. that she's helped you in the grieving of her. Yeah. Well, the deal was, I, I can't live without her, so I don't. <laughs> I can't live without her, so I don't. When I need her, I call her. Mm. Um, and I discovered that if I, you know, I understand voice that. recorder on your phone. Mm -hmm. So try this, those of you in grief. It's kind of, you got to go with me on this. But it, I find that if I push that voice recorder button and go to a quiet place and say, hey, Rhea, and start talking to her like I'm leaving her a voicemail message, mm -hmm. something about the fact that it's being recorded makes me feel like it's being received. And I'll have these hour-long phone conversations into my phone talking to her. And I feel like she's receiving it. And I feel like she's telling me what to do when I ask her for advice. Sometimes mm. I can feel like I hear her voice, and other times she'll just put an image in my mind of something from her past yep. to show me, oh, it's like that. Remember that situation? Mm -hmm. Remember what we did then? This is how you need to get through mm -hmm. that. And I also write to her. I, I pick up my laptop, and I'll just write, I need to talk to you. And the first time I did it, I felt like such a freak that I was doing it, but I, and I was crying, I was missing her and I was sobbing and I wrote, I said, hey, Rhea, I need to talk to you and I'm really afraid this isn't gonna work. And she goes, well, you better not try it then. In her voice, typing through my hands, better not try it then if it might not work. And I started laughing and it sounded so much like her that I said, is this you? And she said, if you believe it is, it is. And, um, and she I, says this as, as I'm typing through her voice. If you that's some woo woo is. stuff, I got to tell you. And you know what, Oprah? I don't know whether that is it some is. Woo -woo. I don't need to know what it is. Yeah. You know, I don't know whether it's her spirit typing through my hands or if it's that she's so braided into me at this point that I know what she would say mm -hmm. because I knew her better than I've known anyone. It doesn't it kind doesn't of matter. Matter. It comforts me, and I ask for advice, and I get it. And it's, mm. it's because I've internalized her in a certain extent. Will you write a memoir about this time with her, your time with Rhea? Unclear. Unclear. I know it's what everybody expects me to do, yeah. and there's a part of me... Yeah, this is so unexpected, yes, at this moment. I know yes. that everyone thought... Because our thought you were going to... Yes. Yeah, and, and there's a part of me that's... But I love that you zig when you think you're going to zag. like, I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. I love you zig when you, when you <laughs> thought you were going to zag. Nope. I, um, and I don't believe that I owe the world that. Um, I don't. I don't believe that... Somebody asked me recently if I felt like I had a responsibility to my readers, and I said, no, I love them but I don't feel responsible to them. And they're not responsible to me either. No yeah. one's responsible to read my books. Right. We have a love relationship. You want to be in it, you, you can be in it. But I don't know. It's, um, I'm, I have some ideas about yeah. uh, different things. It will come as it's supposed to come. The, yeah. all, you know, what you shared when you first sat down here, that's it. You just want all of it. You want yeah. to live it. You want to be in the now and yeah. be guided by whatever the force of life at any given moment tells you to do. You say as the wind whips up. Yes. <laughs> Hello, just like, force of life. You just like stirred up the force of life just there. <laughs> Hello, force of life. You guys know that Oprah can summon the wind. <laughs> she actually so, has that talent. Here's the thing. For all the people who fear, who are in it right now, and I know this super soul and this podcast is going to come at just the right moment for so many people mm. who are fearing the loss and fearing the grief. Mm. What do you want to say to them about it? I love you. 
I love you. That's all I want to say. I love you. It is you are walking through mm -hmm. the darkest thing that you may ever face, and you will survive it. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to know how now. You don't have to know how tomorrow, and you don't have to know how the day after tomorrow. But somehow you will walk through this as everyone has, you know? And you may spend the rest of your life walking with a limp for what you've been through and, and the loss that you have. But you can do it. It's, um, I would say to lean into the idea of the honor. I know that is, it may be too soon for certain people to yeah. hear that. They're like, screw your honor. I want my husband back. Mm -hmm. I want my daughter back. I my want sister my back, yeah. sister back. You know, I don't see the honor in that. But you remember Richard from Texas of from Meet, Pray, Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I asked him one time, what do you think about death, Richard? Because he, he was one of the wisest people I ever met. And he said, well, all I know about it is it seems to take everybody by surprise. <laughs> and I don't know why, because it's literally the only thing that is in the contract. It's the For all of us. only guaranteed thing. And yet every time it happens, we're shocked. And it's really kind of the one thing that shouldn't be shocking. Everything else should be shocking because everything else is a surprise. But death is the one thing that shouldn't be a surprise. And yet it does feel so shocking when it happens. We're like, what? <laughs> Even when you're prepared for it. Even when you've it. been preparing for it your yeah. entire mm -hmm. life, you know? Um, and I don't know what's on the other side, um, but I know that to help somebody, Rhea and I used to say, she used to say to me, I just want you to walk me to the edge of the river. You know, I, and she'd say, I don't know what the, what the river is, but I want you with me right to the edge of the river. And to get to, not to have to, but to get to walk with somebody to the edge of the river is the greatest honor I've ever had in my entire life. Mm. To be chosen by somebody, to be the one who wants you with them at the end of their life is the greatest honor I've ever experienced. Yeah, I can see that. You know, this is love. Because by the time you get there, and you know you're headed to the edge of the river, you only want the people who are the purest and the truest. That's it. Yeah. You only want that to w do that walk. That's right. But the people who you know are real. There is, there is just no room for bullshit. And yeah. for people's feelings, because there are a lot of other people. Yeah. Raya was very beloved, and there were a lot of yeah. people who wanted to be on that walk. And I remember her saying to some friends who were angry that they were being cut out of this last piece of her life, and she said, I cannot take care of you right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I cannot take care yeah, of you right now. Yeah. I am dying. You don't want Go people who need, who, about it. who have to have their own no. needs taken care of no. and you're doing it to, yes. If you're gonna be in the room with me while I'm dying, you do not make me take care of you. Whoa. And she said it flat out to them. And if they, and if they started doing that in the room, she would send them out. Really? Yeah. She's like, I'm not sitting yeah, here watching think, you cry at me. I, was, I would have to think that if ever you were going to be in the truth of yourself and That's not it. worried about what other people are thinking, it's when you're walking to the edge of that I mean, river. She was kind of like that anyway, even yes. on a good day. But yeah. like when, when there were no more, when all the stakes were pulled up, that was it. You know, she just, she didn't have time to baby anybody. Um, she, she was like, you know, be here helping me or, or go. Where do you think Rhea is now? Where do we go? Where does where does a soul go? We don't get to know that, you and I. But when I talk to her, mm -hmm. does she tell you where she's at? Well, she did once. <laughs> I said I was really sad. It was Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. uh, the holidays are hard, as you know. Mm -hmm. And um, after you've lost somebody you love, and I all the first you have uh, to go through. It was brutal, and I and I 
was home at my parents' house, and I kind of left the gathering early, and I went upstairs and called Rhea mm. on my cell phone to talk to her the way that I do, just leaving a voice message to the ether, really, mm. you know? And I was crying, and I said, um, is it sad where you are? And I heard her voice, felt her voice in me say, well, it depends, baby, is it sad where you are? And what I gathered out of that was, I'm where you are. You know, so if you're sad, Liz, then it's sad where I am, because I'm with you. And if you're happy, then it's happy where I am, because I'm with you. Mm. And I said, can you show me what that looks like? You know, the with you. And the image that I was shown was just me sort of surrounded by carbonation. <laughs> just this carbonation, and it was just this sense of just Rhea, just spirit. And so, what she's always been reassuring me of is, is where she is, is right here. Mm -hmm. Right here. Hi, Rhea. I know. Hey, baby. <laughs> Hi, Rhea. And she did always love you, so I'm uh, sure she, there's no way she was going to miss seeing uh, you. <laughs> I just think but that's I so beautiful. Feel it. Like, yeah. When she said, if, if you're sad, I, then yeah, it's sad where I am, because where I am is right here with you at every moment. Um, and I said, are you with everyone who loved you? And she's like, no, I'm just with you. <laughs> we had such a special, you know, she's like, no, don't tell anybody, but oh I'm just my with goodness. you. I'm just with you. Yeah. Yeah, but that's just me. That could just be me comforting me, but it worked. You know, it worked. I, I, I felt it. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. So do you feel that for other people that you've lost no. or that have gone on? No. Never. I mean, I, I, I was talking about this recently with somebody else who's, whose best friend died young. Uh -huh. And she said, you know, I can't believe we'd lose these. Like, of all the people, like, I've got a list of... There's something so unjust about when people are taken and who is taken, mm -hmm. right? I mean... Or it feels that way. It feels that way, you know? Like, God, of all people in the world, you had to take that one? Mm -hmm. You know, the world is full of these horrible people, you had to take mm -hmm. this one? Mm -hmm. She and I were talking about this feeling that we have where, for the first time in my life, and I think you have this, because you've spoken about this with, with Maya. Maya. I have a, a very powerful ambassador on the other side now. Yeah. And I've never felt like that before. Yeah. And I've lost people that I loved, but I felt that they couldn't do much for me. <laughs> yes. But Ray is strong. Yes. And like in the way that Maya is strong, and it's like I feel like I have. But a you know what team I think it is. On the other side yes. Now. Uh, you know what it is. What I have sensed, and I don't know how I know it or feel it to be true. And when friends have lost people that they loved and truly loved them, it's it's about the love connection. Yeah. When somebody has loved you really loved you, that's how they become an ambassador for you on the other side. It's not everybody who's ever passed, right. but it's why people who've had really strong relationships with their mothers, I now say, you have an angel you can call by name. Yes. And for my mother, we didn't have a strong relationship in, 
in 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 her human form in this form but it's better now that she's gone well she doesn't can i tell you my i, I want to know your ahead. understanding yeah. of it first what's your understanding of why that is because i have a thought about that well, she, she never knew me on this side uh -huh. she never really knew who i was and when she got to the other side that was the first time she actually could see who I was. Wow. Yeah. And you feel that? I feel that. You feel that because you hear her tell you that, or you feel oh, it I kind feel of that. in your body? It's in my body. Yeah. It's in, yeah. It's, 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 it's just a knowingness. I can't explain how yeah. I know it. I know it. Ah, uh, she got it. Yeah. yeah. I've heard this before of people talking about difficult parents, especially, mm -hmm. that when somebody very difficult that you loved dies, now, on the other side, they don't have an ego anymore. They don't have any more That's stories right. and they yeah. don't have any more pathologies. All they have is love. That's right. So all of that gets cleared. She couldn't see you because she couldn't see you yeah. through all that hedge of of ego and her own pain and whatever her, yeah. her thing was. And then when that's gone, the only yeah. thing left is love. Mm. The only thing left is love. Yes. And then you can love sees everything. Yes. That's it. Yeah. I feel that strongly now. So what was your greatest fear that you were able to overcome? and what allowed you to overcome it? My greatest fear has always been that I'm not a good person. And and I'm not trying to get you to say that I am by I'm saying not. that, but it's No, I'm saying so you, yes. My greatest fear is that I'm not a good person. And what's gotten me to get over that hasn't been becoming the world's best person. It's learning mercy toward myself for the mistakes and failings of my life. Like radical, an attitude toward myself of radical friendliness. Um, radical, radical acceptance. And that's why this line about, if not a good girl, yeah. I believe that I was a good person. Yeah. You're writing about yourself. I know, I always do. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's a memoir or a novel, the only story I know how to tell is mine. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's always been my biggest fear. That's what's tormented me the most, is, is a fear that I'm not good. What was your greatest awakening? Finding God, mm. um, when I was going through the first pages of Eat, Pray, Love on the bathroom floor. Yeah. You know, night after night. In a bathroom a, in floor a, moment, That yeah. bathroom floor moment that every woman I've met who's read Eat, Pray, mm -hmm. Love has been like, oh, mm -hmm. I know that bathroom floor. Yep. What color was your tile? Yes. You know, like, Anne Lamott says, people say God is in the details. I think God is in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, there's something about breaking down in the bathroom. It seems to be where it happens to everybody. Absolutely. Hit that floor, it's you're at your lowest moment. and. And I didn't have any kind of God in my life before then. And I got to such a breaking point that there was no way out but through God. Mm -hmm. There was no way out but through God. And feeling that that night when I was begging God, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And hearing this very loving voice say, go back to bed, Liz. Yes, I just remember that moment, go, go back. back to bed, Liz. And do you call it God, universal force, love, spiritual consciousness? I call it God because it's just uh, easy, but I'm happy with any, with source, Gaia, universe, love, she, he, they. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm fine with all of that, but for convenience, because most people recognize what you mean. When you say, I God. say God. Okay, so when is the last time you were filled with awe Mm. Or what fills you with awe? You can answer either one. I just taught a creativity workshop at an organization in Philadelphia called Project Home that's run by my hero, a woman named Sister Mary Scullion, the most incredible nun who's devoted her entire life to taking care of the homeless in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And 
It was the most diverse room of people I've ever taught a workshop to, um, you know, in terms of race, age, mm -hmm. uh, intellectual ability. It was, it was just this, and I was like, wow, how's this going to work, you know? And um, my God, was that so beautiful. And, and the workshop that I teach is a series of letters that people write to and from mm -hmm. different aspects of themselves. And just watching these people who have been through so much difficulty, these people who are just coming out of homelessness for whatever reasons, whether it was mental illness mm. or addiction or economic injustice or racial injustice or the violence that had happened to them in their youth, and then hearing them write pieces of their story and hearing them stand up and, and read, I was, I was in awe. It was a bow down moment, you know, and the quality and beauty of the of the storytelling that that was coming out of them was just absolutely magnificent i was so struck by what you said earlier about this life that you have now wanting to live it yeah. and whatever shows up what what advice do you have for people who are living a false life and they know it i oh it's so hard it's so hard to get out of it because you're probably entrenched yeah you know and I would say, I mean, I've been using this word a lot just in this conversation, but every good thing starts with mercy. Every good thing starts with mercy. So first thing is mercy for yourself for the situation that you've ended up in. Because I think a lot of the reasons that people get stuck is that they take a wrong turn and then they're so ashamed and then they're trying to cover their shame and then the shame is debilitating and then they become crippled and stuck and then they don't think they deserve a better life and then, you know, all right. of it is just wrapped up in a tremendous amount of shame and I know shame inside and out and I also know mercy at this point inside and out and so begin by laying a foundation for yourself of radical mercy. Okay, you ended up here. Okay, you know, made him okay, wrong marriage, yeah. okay, wrong yeah. job, okay, wrong everything. So it first begins with acceptance, like, Just so this is where I am. Even before acceptance, mercy. Before acceptance? Yeah, because I think mercy, you can even have mercy for yourself for what you can't accept. Yes. I just think mercy above all, mercy okay. above all. And then once you've established a certain base note of kindness, towards yourself, you can you can only then start to begin to change because it's gonna hurt, you know? Mm -hmm. It's gonna cost you and it's gonna hurt and it's gonna be painful and you might not be able to do it and that's also okay. Mercy in that too. You and I have talked about constantly pushing people toward right. their passion, you know, like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think one mercy. of the most important things I've ever heard you say, you said in a past Super Soul when you said it freed so many people, this whole purpose and passion when you said curiosity. Yeah. Just being curious. Yeah. Follow your curiosity, is which is a scavenger hunt. Yes. It's not the voice of God saying, this is your passion, change the world, do yes. this. It's just curiosity is a tiny little impulse that says, what are you a little bit interested in now? Yes. It's mild. You can yeah. actually do that without yeah. blowing your life and, up. And, and let that lead you. Yeah. Just follow that. Always. Yeah, follow Always. that. So describe a moment when you experienced true and pure grace and you knew it. I was... In Indonesia, mm -hmm. um, I was going through my horrible divorce. I was 31. Mm -hmm. I was in a terrible depression. I took myself to this tiny little island and decided I needed to spend 10 days in silence to try to have a truth and reconciliation hearing with myself because I was so full of shame and pain. Mm. I decided I wouldn't speak, not a word, for 10 days. And I didn't know anybody. I went and got a hut on a beach in this tiny little very poor fishing island off of Lombok in Indonesia. And I got terribly, terribly sick with food poisoning. And my plan was to walk around the island every day because it was a tiny little mm. island. And there was this one woman, this Muslim woman, 
I mean, I, when I say this island was poor, I mean what these people fished that day is what they ate for dinner that night, mm -hmm. you know? And this one woman on the other side of this island used to see me walking and she would put her hand on her heart and smile at me when I walked by and I would do the same to her. And then I got really sick and I was stuck in my cabin, dehydrated, terrified. I actually thought I had malaria, mm -hmm. you know, and far away from anyone who knew me. And this woman came and found me. Something in her knew that I wasn't well. She'd seen me mm -hmm. and she knew I wasn't doing well anyway. But when she didn't see me on my daily walk, she came and knocked on my door and, and saw the condition that I was in and went like this and came back an hour later with fresh food and fresh water for me. And I just started crying in her arms. And she held me in her arms like I was her child and, and just rocked me and took care Did of me. Did you even know her name? I didn't know her name, still don't. And, um, and mm. by the way, she is my face of Islam whenever, you know, whatever conversation in the world is ever happening about Islam, she is my face of Islam. That woman who went across an island, knocked on every door in this little row of cabins till she found the person who she knew was suffering and came and took care of me. Oh my God. That was the most grace I have ever received in my entire life because she had no relationship with me whatsoever, owed me nothing. This is truly God working through somebody's kindness. Wow. What makes your heart whole and full? My friends, my friends more than anything. I'm so in love with my friends. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm at an age now where I've realized that I'm turning 50 this year. And, um, and the way that I'm celebrating this year is that each one of my favorite friends I'm taking on a vacation somewhere to do something particular that I knew she would love. So. In January, I took my best friend, Jenny, from when I was nine. She's been my friend since I was nine. 40-year friendship. And um, took her to Mexico, and we just sat on the beach and drank margaritas. Do you have a lot of friends? I have a lot of friends. But what I love most is that I have friends that I've had for decades now. Wow. You know, so friends for 30 years, 20 years, 40 years. And in each, each one of them, I'm doing something really special with this year, because I can't think of a better way to celebrate being 50. And they make my heart feel so safe and so, so rich and so so full of love. Other than the moment you described where uh, you felt like the spirit of your beloved with you, have you had any other transcendental or mystical experiences? I've had a lot of them around Rhea, I have to say, but I think it's just because she's, she's so powerful. Yeah. Um, I've had things happen that seem to be spooky and don't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, when Rhea was being cremated, um, Gigi, her ex-wife, who is my sister now, the two of us decided to, to go and watch because we felt like that was part of our contract with her to take her to the edge of the river, that we, we would watch the, the cremation. Because mm. Rhea had said she was afraid of being left alone after she died, and so we, we said, we'll be right with you right till the last flame. And we sat, and, and it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Those aren't my dogs, by the way, okay? <laughs> I want everyone to know those are not my dogs. I have a feeling that's actually the spirit of Rhea. <laughs> <laughs> that must be her thugging around the edge of the fence, okay? <laughs> but in that, uh, during that cremation, we, it, it takes hours for a body to burn. And we sat there for hours praying, singing hymns. Does it take hours? Hours. And it should, because it's, it's so 
epic. You yes, know, I know it's leaving. epic, but I would think it just... No, it no. takes hours. It oh takes my hours. gosh, I didn't know and that. So we, we just sat there in this warehouse, in this cold warehouse together, a lot of it in silence and meditation, in prayer, in, in song, just guiding, feeling like we were guiding her soul into the, the flames and out into life. And my bag was sitting down here at the next. Is she to me. like in a furnace or a yeah, tomb? Yeah, in a, in, a, in a furnace, which they closed the door of, but we'd asked them to open so we could sort of Watch her burn. see her. Yeah, yeah. You walked to the edge? Right to the edge. And all, and on into the fire. Would have gone, I mean, I tell you, Oprah, seeing that, she looked like a Viking king. The nobility, the beauty of watching her turn from earth to flame, from, from matter to flame was, was, I, was so beautiful. And I said, I, I've never met anyone who's done that. Gigi and I are weird that way. <laughs> we just felt we had to. And, and Gigi said, we looked at her in flame and Gigi said, I've never seen her look more like herself. Because she was that. She was just this force of flame and power. She was an Aries, you know? So just watching wow. that, it was, it was just extraordinary. And But in that, three hours in, my bag is right next to me. My phone starts playing one of her favorite songs. No one's touched it. I don't have Siri. And this Van Morrison song starts playing out of nowhere. On your... While her soul is ascending, um, and Gigi this and I is... just get up and start dancing. <laughs> We're like, okay, this I don't is know. Going woo woo I don't on know. me. I don't. I don't know. It's never happened before or since. Ooh. I know. So you know me. I'm pretty comfortable. Me that you're sitting there watching her going up yeah. in flame, and your purse is just there, and no one's touched the purse, and the music starts coming out of it. Okay. I don't know how things work. I just know that it's an interesting ride, and I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yeah. I wouldn't miss a minute of it. Not a minute of it. Even, you know, and I, I said that to Rhea right up the two days before she died. She said, you've been through hell with me. And I said, I wouldn't miss a minute of this. Not a minute of this. I wouldn't trade a minute of this. Not one minute. I'd do it all over again. We're going to end right there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. I love you. <laughs> I love you back. <laughs> Thank you oh, so much. Oh, my God. Woo! That's amazing. Mm. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. 